Corbett, aka Avery Adams. I am now 10 years old and currently going into the fifth grade. Joining me today is Skipper, aka Craig Jurinji, who is an old nerd. Hey, not funny, Private. Kind of funny, Skip. Hey, Skip, what are all these wires and electronic parts for? I'm building a time machine. <laughs> Skip, I don't think that's possible. Sure it is. It's done every day. Really? Cool. Can we go into the future? Sure. Every second that goes by, we go into the future. Seriously, Skip, will your time machine work? I hope so. My other one's broke. Wait, you had another time machine? Cool. How come I never saw it? You did. You have one, too. Skip, I think I would know if I had a time machine. Private. It's called a clock. They're pretty common, you know, and they're pretty good at measuring the passage of time. That's not funny, Skip. <laughs> no, that's really funny, Private. So, what is time, anyway? A famous Greek named Aristotle said that time is the most unknown of all unknown things. And it's still true today. We don't really know what time is. How can we measure something if we don't even know what it is? It is strange, but let me ask you a question. How old are you? Well, my birthday was a few days ago, so I'm 10. Well, if you lived on Mercury, you'd be 41 and a half years old. And if we lived on Mars, you would be only six years old. And if you lived on Saturn, you'd only be a third of a year old. How can my age be so different? Would I still be a little baby if I lived on Saturn? Nope. If we lived on Saturn, you would still be you. So we can't confuse measured time with biological time. You see, we measure time against something in nature that happens at a regular interval. What's an interval? An interval is the time between when one thing happens and the next. Okay, like what? Well, the Earth spins once on its axis, and we call that a day. And that happens on a regular basis without fail. Some Native American Indians measure time based on the full moon cycle, which happens every 28 days. Oh, I get it. We measure our ages on the amount of time it takes the Earth to go around the sun. It's, um... 365 days. Right, we call that a year. And if we use the Earth's year as a measure and compare it to other planets' rotations around the sun as their year, our measured ages would probably change. Hmm, so, uh, what's biological time? Hey, time for some research. Get it? Time? Research? Get it? Not funny, Skip. Kind of funny, Private. So, I learned that measured time is called chronological time. Chronos, in Greek, means time. Biological time is how living things grow and develop. So, what do you mean? Well, I found that there's this clock inside of living things called a biological clock. So, we have a clock inside of us? Does it have an alarm? Can we set it and everything? Kinda. And people wakes us up in the morning and makes us. And other living things go through changes as we get older. Like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. And some other living things it makes them active at night like owls and bats. You know, nocturnal animals. Right. So what else does this biological clock do? All the animals that live in large herds need to make babies at the same time. And their biological clock tells them when that time is. Why at the same time? Well, remember rule number two, make more of yourself or reproduce? It seems that having lots of babies at the same time gives the babies a better chance to survive. Remember last episode we talked about why, for some animals, having lots of babies is important? Yep, I do. So, what else? The clock also tells them when to move from place to place to follow their food supply. Hey, that's rule number one. Um, get food, but don't become food. Wow, that clock is pretty cool. How does it all work? Well, some of it has to do with the sun and a thingy in the brain, but I'm not very clear about how it works. Well, so that's pretty good. That thingy is a type of gland that produces proteins that go into the blood. When it's light out, it doesn't work, but when it gets dark, 
it does start to work, and it produces a substance that makes us sleepy. And the sleepier we get, we eventually go to sleep. Yeah, some scientists think that sleeping at night helped us survive because the animals that hunted us hunted at night, and it was harder to find us if we stayed in the trees and didn't move around. Wait, animals hunted us? I thought we were the mighty hunters. That's not how it started out, Skip. Before humans developed fire, tools, and weapons, we were hunted by some of the big cats and the big animals in Africa. Yes, you're right. That is true. Last week, you said that we started out as furry animals, and right after the dinosaurs went extinct, those furry animals started to develop into us. I want to know, how did that happen? I'm having a hard time believing that people came from furry animals. (laughs) You and a lot of other people. Most creation myths have people being created first by their god or gods, and then all the animals being created after them. But that is not what the fossil evidence shows. And as you know, scientists always go with the evidence. But Skip, how did we come from furry animals? Mistakes. You have to give me more than that. You're right. Always ask to see the evidence. The mistakes I'm talking about are mistakes in the DNA. Do you remember DNA? Yeah, we talked a lot about it. It controls what animals and plants look like and act like. Super, that's right. And it does this by controlling the kinds of proteins that the plant or animal makes. Do you remember proteins? Yeah, they're what the living things are made of. So... So, if a mistake occurs in the DNA's plans for a protein, then that protein will be different than it should be. That doesn't sound so good. Most of the time it isn't. If the protein isn't the right shape, then the part it makes isn't going to be right either. So the animals may not be able to survive. But sometimes that mistake turns out to be a good thing. How? Let me tell you a true story of some bunnies that lived a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, no, wait. It happened in our own galaxy right here on Earth. Seriously, Skip? Star Wars? Is this really a true story? I love Star Wars. And yes, it is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. So, there's this girl bunny that lived in the northern part of our planet at a time when the Earth was very warm all over. She was brown and blended in nicely with the plants that she lived among, so she was very hard to see. And her name was Harriet. Harriet? Really, Skip? Sure, why not? I did say the names were changed. Anyway, when Harriet was born, she had a mistake in her DNA. Do you remember what a mistake in the DNA is called? Yes, it's a mutation. Also, you're starting to sound like Deuteronomous Bosch, and Harriet is really a weird name. Right. So, this mistake in a protein that controlled the color of her fur. The mistake caused the color to stop being produced when the temperature fell below 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. But you said it was warm all over the world. That's right. You remembered. Very good. And because the temperature never went below 50 degrees, this mistake had absolutely no effect on Harriet. Wow. Great story. Not... Wait, the story's not over, Private. You see, Harriet was a bunny, and bunnies have lots and lots of babies. And all those babies had the same mistake in their DNA, too. Oh, and it didn't have any effect on any of them, either. This is a stupid story. (laughs) Give it a chance, Private. The good parts are coming up soon. So all Harriet's babies also had lots and lots of babies, and for thousands of years, the mistake had no effect on any of them. Not good, not bad, but things were about to change on the Earth. The temperature was slowly dropping, and during a particular time of the year, the temperature did drop below 50 degrees, and it stayed there. Well, you remember what that mistake did. It turned off the color and all the bunnies that came from Harriet, who had lived thousands of years before them. 
So all the descendants of Harriet turned white? But Skip, now they don't blend in with the plants they lived in, and that would make them easy to see by foxes and wolves and other animals that would eat them. Skip, this is a terrible story. Those poor bunnies are doomed. But Private, what happens when the temperature gets cold out? Uh, it snows. And what color is snow? Oh, I get it. Snow's white, so those bunnies do blend in. But Skip, what happened to the bunnies that didn't come from Harriet? Now they don't blend in, and they're easier to see by the foxes. No, well, what do you think happened to them? Well, the foxes and wolves would have an easier time seeing them, so they probably ate more of them than the white ones, which would be much harder to find. Hey, the brown ones were breaking rule number one. Get food, but don't become food. They were becoming foods for foxes and wolves. Right, so over lots of time, what do you think would happen? I think there would be fewer brown bunnies and more white ones. And this repeated year after year, every time it went below 50 degrees. The brown ones stood out and were eaten more often than the white ones, who blended in better. And after a while, there were almost no brown bunnies left in that part of the earth. Is this really true? Yep. It's the story of the snowshoe rabbit. It turns white in the winter and back to brown in the spring when the temperature goes above 50 again. So where there was only one kind of rabbit, now there are two kinds of rabbits. The ones that didn't get the mistake and are brown all the time, and the ones that turn white in winter. So, let me get this straight. A mistake occurs in the DNA, and it's passed to the children. Then something happens that changes things where they live, and if that mistake turns out to help them avoid becoming food, then eventually they can create new kinds of animals? Right. And that goes for plants, too. Any change that helps them survive over others can create new types of plants. It's called natural selection. Something happens in nature that favors one type over another. So how did this natural selection thingy make us? Remember I said we came from the furry animals? It was those furry animals that lived with the dinosaurs. But the dinosaurs filled most of the places to live in the world. They were large meat eaters and small meat eaters, large plant eaters and small plant eaters, large ones that flew, small ones that flew, ones that swam, ones that walked slow, ones that moved fast, ones that lived in trees, ones that lived on the ground. There wasn't many places for that furry animal to live. And scientists think that it may have lived deep in burrows in the ground. But when the meteorites struck and all the large animals died off, the world was wide open. Nothing much left to eat the furry animals, so they left their burrows. And over the years, the mutations that occurred in their DNA allowed them to live where formerly only the dinosaurs lived. They began to be able to live longer and longer times in the water and eventually became the whales and dolphins. Some were able to fly like bats, some... Wait, whales and dolphins used to walk on the land? No way. Yep. An animal called the Amblyocetus is one of the ancestors of whale and dolphins, and it walked on land. What else happened? Well, some changes allowed them to become bigger and bigger, both the plant eaters and the meat eaters becoming as big as the dinosaurs were. Some took to the trees to find their food, eating the nuts and fruits and insects, and along the way, developing grasping hands and toes. So I'm thinking that some of them became us, but why did they come down out of the trees? Wasn't it safer in the trees? It sure was, and they probably would have stayed up there if it wasn't for another big change in the climate where they lived. Now what happened? <laughs> it got drier and drier, and pretty soon there wasn't enough water for all those trees they lived in. And when the trees started to die, they were forced to come down to the ground to get around. That sounds dangerous. How did they survive? 
Remember, they were very well adapted to living in the trees. They had grasping hands to hold on to branches, but those grasping hands could also be used to hold on to sticks and stones while they were on the ground. Some had a curved backbone that allowed them to stand up straight when on the ground, and that allowed them to see over the tall grass. And some of them had the curious gene. The curious gene? Is that a real thing? And what's a gene again? Some animals have it, crows and other birds, some monkeys and a few others. You definitely have it. It makes you want to try to figure things out, try different approaches to solve problems. It's a piece of DNA that creates a protein or controls other pieces of DNA. Is that a good thing? Most of the time. There is a saying, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Huh? Say that again. If you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. You see, things are always changing. The environment changes, technology, pretty much everything changes. And if you only do things the same way that you always did them, they may not work anymore, or they may not work as well as they used to. So if you have the curious gene, you're more apt to find new ways to do things. Well, like what? Well, let's take the early us, for example. Before, when some predator attacked, they would just climb up a tree. But then there weren't any trees to climb up, and you're in trouble. So instead of trying to climb up a non-existing tree, if one of them picks up a rock or a stick and throws it at the attacker, it may drive them away, and they would survive. But then if they taught that trick to others, and they all did it, it would work even better, and many more would survive. It's rule number one. That's pretty cool. What else? Well, I've always thought that it was kids who first discovered the importance of fire. Kids? Not adults? Why kids? Well, let's say lightning hits a tree and it catches on fire. What do all the adults do? Duh, they run away, of course. Right, because fire is dangerous and all animals are afraid of fire. But remember, we're talking about kids. Kids are a little crazy. Do you always do what your mom and dad do? Uh, um... <laughs> right. See, so I'm thinking that instead of running away from that fire, some of the kids ran toward it and started to play with it. I bet the adults were really mad once they stopped running away. I'll bet they were too, until they realized that every other animal in the world was afraid of fire. And as long as they had fire, no animal would attack them and they would be safe. Oh, and another thing, some kid probably dropped some food into a fire because they were fooling around. And after they pulled it out, the adults forced them to eat it anyway. And after crying and complaining, the kid realized that, hey, it tasted pretty good. So a lot of other kids started to drop their food in the fire too. And what none of them knew then was that that fire had killed parasites and other things that lived in the meat that could make them sick. And the fire also released more good things from the food, making them healthier. So more of them lived and more of them lived longer. Wow, fire was a really great discovery. Yay, kids! <laughs> you got that right, Private. Of course, kids are awesome. Well, that's our podcast for this week. Come back next week for another episode of Science is Fun E. Oh, and don't forget to visit our website at www.scienceisfune.com or listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, 
Podbean, or just search for Science is Fun E in the podcast section of your favorite podcast app. To suggest possible topics for upcoming episodes, email topics at sciencesfune.com. And remember, you could win a Science is Fun E t-shirt if you send in a suggestion and we use it in an episode. You can email me at private at sciencesfune.com or skipper at sciencesfune.com. I'm Private, a.k.a. Avery Adams, hoping that you have a great week. TTYL.